Welcome to the Overdrive Outdoors podcast. Your source for coyote hunting, fishing, and more. We're calling West Texas, and we're filming, and we called 36 coyotes in one night. Two years ago, three years ago, I had in one morning six bucks that were three and a half and older within 50 yards of my stand. Six different bucks one morning. It was in October. Went made my first coyote stand, me and my cousin. And uh, very first freaking stand, guys, we called up seven coyotes. <laughs> seven coyotes. Florida itself is a fisherman's paradise. We stick out in the middle of the water, man. There's water everywhere. Let's kick it in the overdrive. This podcast brought to you by Predator Hunter Outdoors. Locally owned and operated out of Attica, Michigan, Predator Hunter Outdoors will keep you hunting when the sun goes down. Predator Hunter Outdoors has something for every budget and experience level, including lights, night vision, and thermal, as well as a full line of tripods, mounts, and predator calls. Look them up on Facebook and Instagram at Predator Hunter Outdoors, or visit their webpage at www.predatorhunteroutdoors.com. Enter the promo code LIGHT for 20% off light products, and TRIPOD for 10% off tripods and mounts. With today's technology, hunters in the field have more tools than ever to maximize their outdoor experiences. One of those tools is a Grand Rapids, Michigan-based HuntWise app. The HuntWise Pro app is loaded with features including property lines, landowner data, windcast, huntcast, over 250 map layers including 3D maps, a localized rut indicator, as well as discounts of 20% off various name brand products. Step up to the Elite membership and you will get all of that plus HuntCast 2.0 with customizable alerts, Whitetail 365 which gives you season dates and local rut times as well as the best time to plant your food plots, a 15 day hunt forecast and 40-50% to 50% discount on name brand products. Enter code OVERDRIVE for 20% off your membership to HuntWise. Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to the Overdrive Outdoors podcast. Uh, this week, it's me, Josh, and I am talking to Mr. Timmy Ray and Chance Stalkup. Is it Stalkup? Stalkup, yes, sir. Yes, sir. There we go. And you guys are both out of North Carolina. Yes, sir. Well, how are we doing today, guys? Doing great, man. Doing great. It's hot. Uh, yeah. Hot. Yeah, it, uh, it finally cooled off here. I think it's probably in the mid 70s today and it's like man that's a breath of fresh air oh man mid 70s that's what it is it's 75 78 by 5 30 in the morning by nine it's 90 degrees no no thank you i don't like that (laughs) i don't like summer when you walk outside and you instantly can't breathe that's right yeah we call it swamp ass here (laughs) uh yeah yeah we get a lot of that around here Um, so you guys are both predator hunters out of the state of North Carolina, but what do you do for a living? Uh, I'm a Marine, uh, active duty Marine. I've uh, been in the Marine Corps about 12 years. Um, been stationed in North Carolina nine out of the 12 years. I did three years in Okinawa and came back. Well, I'll say it for all the Overdrive Outdoors crew. Thank you very much for your service. I appreciate the support. And you, Timmy? Uh, I did four years in the Marine Corps back in uh, the 90s, and I've been a law enforcement officer for 22 years now here in uh, uh, Jacksonville. Okay. Uh, so how, how do a couple you more that? years, I'll get to retire. 
Well, how, how many years you got to work like work doing that to retire? Uh, in North Carolina is 30 years to get the full pension and everything supplements. So uh, I bought my military time. So that puts me about 26. Uh, then I got over, you know, some sick time. I can roll over into that. So I'm, I'm just inside three years before I can get the, you know, the full benefits. Oh, man. And then it's all uh, nothing but coyote hunting after that. Coyote hunting red fishing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I've, uh, you know, I finally made it out for a full night of coyote hunting on Friday night. Um, I've been doing a lot more fishing. I, I know I've mentioned that on the podcast yeah. a couple of times, but um, Friday we had uh, one of my buddies, Tony from Mountain Lodge Outdoors, come up from Ohio and he was mm -hmm. actually making the trip to pick up a new 243 that Kevin Rott had built him. And uh, we ended up going out coyote hunting that night, and I was the only one to shoot any. And he's like, right. man, I drive four hours just to come up here, spend all his money on gas, and I don't even get to shoot at anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, be quick on that trigger finger. Well, and for for uh, my own clarity here, I did let him take a shot. It's not my fault he didn't hit it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you gave him an opportunity. Right. Exactly. You lead a horse to water. I played cleanup and I killed it at like 250. Nice <laughs> shot. It's a good shot. It's a good poke. No, I enjoy it. I'm uh I shoot a 243 and I'm pretty dang confident with that rifle. So man, when you gain confidence in a firearm, it, it changes right. the game tremendously. What uh what bullet caliber selection are you running? It's 243, but are you running a Nosler or a V Max? Um, I'm using right now 70 grain Nosler. I think it's the Varmageddon. The Varmageddon's, yeah. Yeah, purple tip, I think. Yeah, the purple tip. And um, those are nasty on coyotes. Yeah, but they don't, you don't have to chase them. When I shot 58 <laughs> grain VMAX, I chased a lot of coyotes. Really? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it was bullet splash or, I mean, back then I wasn't known for being that great of a shot either. So who knows? <laughs> but that's, Shot placement's a lot too now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what calibers do you <laughs> both choose? We're both running, I use 223 uh, Remington 55 grain VMAX. I've uh, migrated to 60 grain VMAX. Currently, I'm building a, a six millimeter arc oh, yeah. or run the uh, 70 grain nozzle ballistics or the 75 grain VMAXs. Okay. And you, Timmy? Uh, same. I'm uh, 223 with 55 grain VMAX. You know, I learned early FMJs don't work so well on coyotes. They do a lot of through and through. Of course, I didn't know that starting out because I'm kind of almost self-taught. Okay. Um, but uh, I got introduced to the VMAXs and hit the first one, and it dropped right in its tracks, and I've been sold on that ever since. Yeah. So what is your – I mean, if you're self-taught, are you self-taught hunter all around or just coyote hunter? Just coyote hunting. I, I mean, I grew up here in North Carolina hunting, you know, with my dad and – hunting and fishing and then you know of course got away from it and my daughter got into it and got me back into it and actually got introduced to predator hunting not five years ago okay uh i had coyotes I, we live out here on a, a farm and a, a buddy of mine was like you ever, you ever coyote hunt i was like nope and we went out there the first night and uh, right there before dark, I didn't have no idea what we were doing. He had a call and him, I put him up in a stand and I said, well, I'm going to go down here about 500 yards. He said, when I turn this call on, you be ready. I didn't even know what a coyote really looked like, you yeah. know? And 
about three minutes into it, I was texting my wife saying, hey, I'm predator hunting tonight. I don't know what time I'll be home. And so wait, let me stop no you. You're already on set. And now you're talking to the wife. Well, I'm texting her. <laughs> but I, I mean, I didn't know anything about hiding. I mean, I'm sitting in my side by side. Yep. And they let one ride. And I text my buddy. I said, was that you? He said, dead cat. And I'm telling you, man, that was like that. I was a junkie after that. I mean, it just that, you know, being able to call them and, you know, I turkey hunt. I love calling turkey in. Uh, but after that, I just, it was YouTube and podcast and, you know, anything and everything to, to learn this game. And I just, I'm, I'm eat up with it. I, I'll go deer hunting, but, you know, most of the time it's right before dark. I'm going to put a call out. See if I can call a coyote in right before dark, you know, or even though we do all night hunting, but, you know, I've seen them deer hunting now. But yeah, it's 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 my game. You know, I still love turkey hunting, but me and you know, after hooking up with Chance, you know, earlier this year, it's just it's game on with us. So you grew up hunting though? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I grew up my whole life hunting, you know, with my dad. But Most you know, again, you know, you get a little older, you start chasing women and you get yeah. away from it. Then you get a family and then, you know, luckily, you know, my daughter, you know, really wanted to get into it, which kind of drug me back into it. And uh, I'll take nothing. You know, she's killed turkey and bear and uh, all kinds of stuff now. So, yeah, but the whole coyote thing, that is my game. I don't I, it don't matter. Redfish and coyotes now. <laughs> yeah. And what about you, Chance? You grow up hunting? Yes, sir. I grew up hunting in Texas. Mainly did a lot of bird hunting. First uh, hunting I ever did was uh, pheasant hunting. So pheasant hunting and rabbits. I mean, I grew up, you know, I'm 38. I grew up in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, get out of school. My dad would give me my 410 and a box of 410 shells. I'd jump on my dirt bike, grab my little rat terrier, and I decimated the uh, the rabbit population in West Texas. Oh, yeah. You know, I did a lot of that hunting. Um, then came out uh, hog hunting. I did some hog hunting in Texas, uh, did a lot of night hunting, but then I, poor kid from Texas, I didn't have thermal or night vision or even colored lights. We had, uh, we were driving around in the, you know, our dad's, you know, the old farm truck with the mag light taped to the barrel of our th dad's 30-30 or deer rifle, and, you know, spotlighting hogs and just shooting out of the bed of a truck and 40, 50 miles an hour through a field. You know, it was a lot of fun. Um, got away from hunting as I, I got up, started working in the oil field, and then joined the Marine Corps, and met a buddy who was, you know, a good friend of mine who's really into hunting, got me back into it. Um, and then I went back to Texas on vacation, had a buddy with thermal, got behind it, went hog hunting on thermal, and thermal and suppressors game-changing, as you can know. Um, been, got the bug ever since then. You know, just all I do is, coyote hunt uh, right now. Um, the predator hunting is basically what I enjoy the most, the adrenaline, the moving. You know, I'm not much of a steel hunter anymore, sitting in the stand 4 a.m. freezing, you know, mm -hmm. waiting for a deer to come by. I'd rather be out chasing a coyote. <laughs> See, that's the same with me. I'm like, I love, st I still love being in the woods and watching the world wake up from a tree stand and everything, but by about two hours in, it's like, wonder what else can be done today. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. I'm the same way. Love watching the woods wake up. I was just talking to my wife about that the other day, you know, watching the world come to life, the, the, the forest come to life, you know, the, those first few moments before dawn, it's like, it's just me and the world out there have my little isolation time. Um, 
but about two hours, maybe three hours, I'm done. I'm all right. Let's get out of the stand. I got you know honeydew list to do, work around the house to do, and then I want to take a nap so I can go out and chase coyotes at night. Yeah, brownie points. Yeah, <laughs> everybody's got to get some brownie points. Now That's I uh, I carry a coyote call with me in my backpack for deer hunting too the whole time. Yep. Around here, I hunt. I hunt most well almost 100% of my deer hunting is done on public land and I try to find our old overgrown clear cuts and uh-huh. man, about about a half hour before dark those coyotes will just light up in that clear cut and I got tired of hearing it without having a way to call them in so now there's always always a hand call in my bag at least oh yeah I, I take the electronic now I mean right there before dark you know I'd rather kill a coyote than a deer now I mean it's just <laughs> And, you know, it, it comes to the management part of it. That's, yeah. you know, after getting into it, you start seeing and reading, you know, and, and I'll I'll testify to this. My turkey population right here on my farm has exploded since I've been hunting coyotes. And I've killed 13, you know, within where we're sitting, uh, probably 60, 80 yards in my stand, my first stand. I've killed six out of that stand, probably another six on about 500 yards away in the uh, again, I still hunted them from the beginning. I didn't know about calling and all that. Yep. Uh, bait, you know, hunting over bait and stuff like that. Bait piles, gut piles. But I'm telling you, my turkey population on my farm has exploded. I've seen, I've seen 12 shooters in one day this year. Oh, nice. You know, when before you'd see three or four shooters, yep. you know, in the field. So, you know, it's definitely a management tool. And a lot of people don't see that. You know, they don't know about coyote hunting, I think. And uh, and then we do have some landowners that really understand that. And they they want us out there, you know, as much as we can get out there. It don't matter what time of the year. Yeah. So you know, it's definitely it's a, it's a needed tool. You know, they're competing down here. I don't know about up there, but they're competing with fox and bobcat. You know, we got grays and reds, and so you know the coyotes are competing for all that. So you know your your fawns and your young turkey are just getting decimated. Yeah, know, and- with, with th- that many predators. Yeah, and one thing we've noticed is in the areas that we've taken a bunch of coyotes, the population of fox continues to go up. And a lot yeah. of a lot of my landowners are like, you know, the fox don't really cause us any issues. It's the coyotes we want gone. So a lot of right. my properties, it's hands off the red fox. I, right. I've shot one gray fox in 17 years of coyote hunting. Wow. Um, oh, wow. And I've only shot, I think, four red fox but now i've got landowners who are like hey now i got fox that are coming in and killing these chickens it was years ago it's a constant circle and it's always going to be something else moving in but what do you guys have um because one thing we've noticed here especially in the last two to three years is an explosion in raccoon population Raccoons are bad right now. I've got a landowner. He texted me actually yesterday saying he's every night on his deer feeder, he's got between 12 and 14 coons on his uh, deer feeder. And he's saying he thinks they're also raiding all of his duck. He has a duck impoundment on his property. Okay. And that's what he got me to do is manage the predator. So he, for his duck, turkey and deer populations, and he's only seen probably four to six different ducks there and has not seen a single duckling all year long but he sees nothing but 
uh, raccoons right now. I've killed a few coyotes off his property, and he said the coyotes, uh, those being gone, he's seen an increase in his turkeys, uh, going back to what Timmy said, as well as um, his fawns. He's seeing them grow up as well. Uh, he's still got some bobcats. I got to wait for a season to come in before I can start taking those out. But, uh, you know, predator management is huge. And But, yeah, you're right. Uh, we've seen, a, even on my property, a huge explosion in the raccoon population around here. I don't know very many people who do, uh, hunt raccoons anymore. Some trap them, but raccoons, you know, one of the most intelligent animals there is they get trapped one time or they don't think something's right. You're not going to catch them. Yeah, and they we've talked about it a couple times because the pop the the fur prices i mean a raccoon's essentially worthless right now in most oh, yeah. of the company or the country but you might you might get a couple bucks off of them but most people aren't and especially right now at four four fifty a gallon most people aren't going to just go out and waste that money that's to not right have any kind of income come back from it so mm -hmm. we've got i had a farmer last year call me and you could stand up at his farm, his farmhouse, which was above his fields, and you could look down and see the raccoon damage in the cornfield where they oh, were wow. climbing up the stalks and just knocking them down. And I mean, as long as here, as long as we have permission from the landowner, the landowner says, hey, these raccoons are causing me problems. I need them gone. We can kill them all year long. Um, is okay. it the same way in North Carolina? No, sir. There's a season for it, and they do allow night hunting. Um, but I know I'm not familiar with all the rules about it because I don't do it too much. Um, but yeah, there's a season for it. I think it runs November one yeah. through February twenty eighth. Yep, I think. And ours is something like October. I don't know. Some sometime in October, September, October. Uh, none of us here work for the Department of Natural Resources in any state that we live in. So check the rules if you're listening to this. That's right. But I can tell you that we, as long as we have permission, and I keep all my messages from all my landowners, if it says take out the raccoons and there's a raccoon in that field, the hardest part is when I'm out there calling coyotes is when I'm typically seeing the raccoons. And I'm like, man, if I've been calling for a half hour, these coyotes are already listening to me. None of them are showing. Now do I want to pull the trigger on a raccoon? That's right. like the hardest part for me. I need to, I need to like devote a night to just go out and take out raccoons. Otherwise I feel yeah. like I'm educating the coyotes by pulling the trigger after calling. That's yeah. right. Well, uh, when I've done it before, uh, doing hunt, hunting coons, I won't call. I'll just, uh, you know, they'll come in the feeder and we'll just take them out there. And when I do that, I'll bring my 17 HMR, my 22 oh, yeah. with a suppressor on it and just drop them that way. Oh yeah. Then you just hear the, just nothing but oh, a yeah. primer going off. <laughs> now we've got a guy right up the road that said that we could come kill him anytime we want to. And I've uh, gone in there and man, if you've never called raccoons playing coon fight, when you haven't played any other sounds, man, that is fun watching raccoons come flying in. Oh, they don't play. No. They come in hot. Oh yeah. And if you run a decoy or anything on your call, they will tackle that thing, just knock it right over and then be gone the other direction as fast as they came in yeah so what optics are you both using i see both your guns here the people listening can't see them both in the background so timmy why don't you describe your setup uh mine's a 223 uh wiley setup 
with a Trijicon IR 160 mil uh, radius rangefinder battery pack, and uh, you know the, I bought mine probably five years ago, and you know, you know after hunting with Chance and some other people, you know looking at you know that's an expensive setup, but you know what you're getting today with thermals and the prices. You know, and I'll take nothing away from Trigicon. They're a great company, great warranty. Every time I've called them, which has only been a few times with an issue, they, they've answered the phone and, and took care of me. But, you know, I'm running a rangefinder, a DVR external, you know, so that's just more weight on my gun. Yeah. You know, after hunting with Chance and like I said, some other people, you, you see they got onboard recording, onboard LFR, you know, it just, it cleans your gun up a lot more. I got two or three wires hanging off of mine, you know. Yeah. So, you know, and that, and that makes a difference, especially if you got to go into the woods, which we, we always hunt fields, but uh, I think that's about it on, you know, and chance. Yeah. I'm running a Frankenbilt AR-15-223. It's a 5.56 chamber. I run 223. Um, Geisley Parts, uh, Magpul Furniture. We've got a, a Silencer Co. Uh, 46 hybrid can on it running a Pulsar Thermion 2 XQ38. I really like that two and a half wide field of view. Yep. Um, it's it's awesome. Uh, there's been times where uh, Kyle's come in close and, you know, we got a buddy, Nate, when he's with us, he runs an IRA RL42, oh, yeah. uh, the Rico. It's base magnifications four. His field of view is half of what mine is. So when these Kyle's came in close, he couldn't get a shot. Uh, so I really like that two and a half uh, base magnification field of view because uh, most of our shots are 200 i mean we've taken some 250 300 yard shots but most of the time it's within that 200 yards and that two and a half power magnification is pretty clear and the onboard recording with the audio video is awesome the 16 gigabyte memory right there so i don't have to worry about memory cards sd cards because uh, i do some photography with drones and you know doing and trail cameras and trying to manage sd cards is a pain in the butt <laughs> yeah. um, you know or you, you drop it you forget it you you know all that stuff uh but yeah that's that's our setup we're running i'm running a bog uh it's a predator tactics tripod yep. that i've taken the original ball head off i've got a artiste 55 mil ball head with the really right stuff um qd release mount and just an arcer thing that qd release mount is worth this weight in gold it is you know, it is mounting those guns on and off those you know twisting those thumb screws especially during the tournament season man my hand wore out i got carpal tunnel from it yeah and i i switched i have a ball head setup but i also have a leveling head setup have either of you ever used a leveling head no i've been looking into it i just don't know much about them Dude, I, the thing that, see, when I'm looking at both your guns, I see on Timmy's gun, I see at least two knobs that you probably have to adjust every so often, right? And so on, on the leveling head, the thing that I love the most is it's literally my hand on a big wing nut, basically. So you just mm -hmm. loosen that wing nut, adjust, tighten it down, and you're snug and solid for a shot. And that... Yeah, they. I'm running pretty much the same setup on tripod that chances and you know when we get on set you just loosen up the pan that doesn't really adjust nothing that's just left and right and then uh the tension for the up and down or the ball itself you know we set that where to hold my gun's 13 pounds 
you know, and it, it won't move it, but you can still, you know, smooth up, down, left, and right. So it's it's not that bad at all. And then when one comes in, we just you just reach up there and turn that knob just a little bit, and it just tightens it right up for yep. us. Yeah. So we have the adjustment knob for pan and the full ball head, yep. and there's a tension knob, a locking knob. So we loosen that just a little bit, and then we can pan left or right or up and down depending on the elevation. And when a coyote comes in and we squeak or it stops, all we do is just hit that tension knob just a quarter of a turn. It locks us in solid for a solid state, uh, solid shot. But I am interested in those leveling heads. It looks like it will cut off some weight. And it's just, again, it's one less thing. You know, sitting there, I'm running the call. I'm scanning. I've got to pull the scanner down. I've got to, you know, what is the call doing? What's the coyote doing? Where's my, you know, panning, adjusting? Am I recording already? You know, it's just uh, just something else I can take out of the uh, the chaos and make it a little simpler. But ask him who always shoots first, though. <laughs> who All this lady I'll go back to field of view real quick. You know, he was talking about his that two point five. I got a seven degree field of view on that Trigicon, and I'll tell you where that two point five really. And I didn't know none of this in the beginning. You know, I learned a lot from Chance over the last six months or whatever it's been. Um, and I was going to tell you about the Black Coyote story. Oh, yeah. And that, and that comes down to field of view. Um, we're, we're, we're hunting, and the mosquitoes were getting on me. So, wait, what? when was Pretty tight. What's that? Was this recently? Oh, yeah. This was, what, a month or two ago? Uh, about four weeks ago. Not even a month ago. Yeah. yeah. And, uh we're in a, it's, it's a fairly kind of tight field but not too bad and the mosquitoes were getting on me and i said i had one of them uh mosquito wristbands in my pocket yep i was like i'm gonna try this thing so i'm digging i take my, my my spotter down and i'm digging in my pocket trying to be quiet and about that time they one o'clock on the road so i'm like all right i didn't even go back to the spotter went right to the gun and i'm looking now again i'm tight i can't see it chances keeps to your right to your right to your right and by then that coyote was what 30 yards from us it was i mean it was all the time about 20 yards from us so i hear and i'm i'm trying to get around but you know i don't want to make a lot of, of movement yeah and i hear him squeak and i know he's on him at that point so i just stopped moving he he lets it ride um you know i i finally pick it up in the scope after he shoots because after he shoots i start scanning fast i see it go down i said all right cool i said i'm gonna get the the, the cadillac i said y'all go get the dog i get about 20 yards away, and I hear black coyote. And that, I was, man, I've been trying to get a black coyote since I got started, <laughs> man. I didn't even get a shot off on this thing because I didn't, I could have shot and missed, I'd have claimed it. <laughs> Do you but guys see black It's a beautiful, beautiful dog. Absolutely beautiful dog. What's that? Do you guys see black coyotes fairly often or not really? Yeah, they're, they're not uncommon, but they're not common. Uh, I mean, I've killed two, and within three miles of each other in the past year and a half. Um, to see them on camera every now and then. I actually patterned the first black coyote. I like patterning deer. I use trail cameras to pattern these uh, the, the black coyote and his female and use that to be able to, to harvest him. He's my trophy. So how did that work? How did it, how did you actually come up with a pattern for coyotes? Because I've ran trail cameras like on bait sites and I can't, I can't tell you what night they're going to be there. Hmm. So this black coyote showed up on my property about 2019. Yeah. I caught him a couple of times coming and going. Never saw him again after that. Uh, it was 2020. 
2021, yeah, 2021, um, I started catching them coming across my property. Uh, they were coming between 01 and 0130 almost every night. They'd be, they, I'd see them two or three days in a row, then they'd be gone for two or three days and they'd come back for two or three days. And I have uh, three trail cameras that I, once I saw them, I triangled them and just found the path of least resistance. There's a creek that runs on the backside of my property. So I just triangulated on the path I would see them take uh, and triangle there and I would pattern them. Uh, then they got to where they were coming in the morning, about 0730. So it's uh, February 2021. Um, the female was coming every day about 0730 and the black male would be right behind her around 040, just trailing her. Um, went out there, set him a ground blind, waited for her to show up. She showed up like clockwork. I squeaked. She came in and realized something was off, walked away, uh, stopped and gave me a, a shot, but I threaded the needle. It was a, it's a pretty shot. I threaded the needle between, between some trees and dropped her, waited a few minutes, tried calling, see if he'd come in, um, played pup distress, uh, lone female howl, never could see him come in. Um, went up, grabbed, grabbed her, you know, did the whole photograph stuff, drug her out, come back the next day, check the trail camera, and about 10 minutes after I left, the black coyote came in and my trail cameras are on video. So he comes in, he smells where I was and where his female was and then turned around and walked off and I didn't see him again. Uh, I, I, got, I knew where they were coming from. So I got a hold of the landowner, talked to him. He gave me permission uh, to come in there and hunt. I put up some trail cameras there and found out where he was at. It's an old hog farm. And I knew they were probably staying somewhere in those, hog, uh, those old hog houses. Oh, uh, set up once I knew his pattern of where he was coming and going. And if you're looking at the property, my property's to the right, and then the the hog farm owner's property's in the middle, and then there's properties to the left. Instead of going to the right like they were doing, he started coming to the left. I would catch him and pattern him that he was moving to the left. So he completely quit going the same direction, not just going around me or anything else. He completely changed the way he was going because I never caught any cameras, uh, pictures of him on camera going to the right. That's and this was April of 21, end of April 21. Um, went out there, knew it was about the time where he was coming in. I'm just assuming by his pattern, every two to three days he would show up. He's patrolling his area. Yeah, and he was a he was probably about a three four year old coyote, weighed about 35 pounds. He was a decent size, pretty large coyote for this area actually. Anything over 30 pounds would consider pretty large here. Um, played some MFK calls. He sounded off. There, he was moving to the left. Uh, there were three deer in front of him. The deer charged him. He didn't even care. They ran off. I hit pup distress, and he came in from over 400 yards away on a string. Um, he was getting about 100 yards, and he was moving to the left, and the wind was blowing right to left. So I know he was trying to circle and get downwind of me. And um, the wind was kind of swirling too, so I didn't know exactly where my scent cone had gone to. So I got him to stop at about 90 yards and dropped him. You could typically tell instantly when a coyote hits your scent cone. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> he, he came in and he uh, was coming in hot. And then all of a sudden he just started checking up and put his nose up. I was like, he's about to catch my wind. Yep. And I, I had a shot. And I had to take it. And when they do that, they, for people that don't do this very often or are trying to get into it, when a coyote catches your scent, they can be coming in a hundred miles an hour and they will not even stop 
and turn around and be gone just as fast. That's right. We've had a bunch of them do that. I actually shot one in the UP a couple of years ago that did that. It was, we were on an old gravel pit and I walked the call down like an idiot down into the bottom of that pit. Well, when you go into a low area, that's where your wind's going to stay. It's just going to stay down in there. So these two coyotes come flying down into that hole. And I, if it was daylight out or you could have seen it, I guarantee they kicked up dust and rocks when they slammed down the brakes to get out of there. And I managed to put one of them down on the run, but I'm like, man, those things, they can turn on a dime for no reason and be out of your life faster than they came in. Yeah. So one tip or a little trick I have that I do is coyote urine. So I've found this guy who does homemade coyote urine, or, you know, 100% uh, coyote urine. I bought his product off of Amazon um, and I bought it and I started spraying around the call. Okay. You know, I know it's not okay. going to completely cover my scent, but it masks it because I've had coyotes come in and they come right to the call. And then that's where they uh, catch my scent at the call and turn around and bolt. And like you said, they're gone. Once they turn on those afterburners, you know, they're, you're not going to catch them. Yeah. Uh, but so I started spraying around the call, um, just that coyote urine, like three or four sprays. And I've had them come up, two of them came in and checked up at the call and smelled the call and started looking around like, all right, something's not making sense, but it was, they paused long enough for me to drop both of them. Yeah. And that's all you need. Yeah. Yeah. Some people say it doesn't work in my experience it works. So, you know, Take it what it is. If you want to try it, try it. If not, I don't care. But it's yeah. you know, it's spraying coyote urine around the call uh, helps mass the scent. If anything, just gives them a little bit of time to stop because they're going to be confused, and you can get a shot. So, looking at your setup behind you, is that a mouse squeaker I see on the leg of your tripod? Yes, sir. That, that thing's killed more coyotes than parvo. I was just going to say, how how does that work for you? You had pretty. That's good a seven dollar, that. like a seven dollar squeaker. Yeah, primo. Yeah. Is that a green yep, Primos yeah, one? Primos. Yep. So it's on the front of my tripod. Um, when they come in, we've already talked this. You know, we hunted pr- uh, plenty of times together. It's, you know, we don't like to talk all the time or we can't talk. So when they're coming in and they're getting too close to the call or they're getting to an area where we want to shoot, because we try to call and have force them into our lane of shooting where we want them to take a shot. Yep. So I'll squeak. And, you know, they squeak, they stop, you shoot. So it's squeak, stop, bang, that's it. So that's what we do is I I squeak it that way. Sometimes it works. Most of the time it works. Sometimes they don't care about it. We had one coming into a call and he was coming in hot and I was squeaking, squeaking, squeaking. I I was squeaking also. Yeah. Sitting my squeaker and he just (laughs) trying to run to us. Yeah. But I've had them come in before where I squeak and they put on the brakes and they're hearing, you know, with their ears and how they oscillate and how they can pinpoint where that sound's coming from. It's so amazing. It's so cool because I've had them come in and there'll be 50 yards from me and I'll just squeak it once. They'll put on the brakes and before they even stop, they've got me pegged right where I'm at. Yep. And that's long enough for them to realize, uh-oh, I made a mistake. <laughs> yes, this is when he realized he fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So this time of year, what's your guys' typical setups? I mean, do you guys... Does North Carolina have corn, beans, all that stuff planted, or are you? Yeah, we got corn, beans, cotton, tobacco. Um, you know, I couldn't even tell you how many land access we have between the both of us, but probably ninety percent or better is, is agriculture right now. Yeah, uh, we got a couple side farms and and stuff like that that we can still hit, but this time of the year we really slowed down a lot just just because 
you know, yeah, you can get out there and you can hunt some, and I, and I've got some, some hunting club access and I got some of my property, got some good wide roads, but you know, you can't make a full night out of it right now. Yeah. So. No. That's where it's hard. That, and you too. just spend all time just trying to kill mosquitoes. Yeah. They're bad. When you guys mentioned that and you said you had a mosquito wristband, do either of you guys ever use a thermocell? Yeah. Yep. I don't know if I've, I swear about thermocell. That is the best $30 hunting accessory I've ever purchased. Absolutely. But here lately, I don't know if thermocell has just changed their formula that they used to use to something else, but it just seems like it's not as effective. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. I, ha I haven't noticed that, but also I probably, I might not have the mosquito population that you guys do. We're hunting a lot of swamp area, I was you know, a say. lot of pine, so a lot of lowland area. Yeah, we've, I mean, we got mosquitoes enough that a lot of times it feels like they're going to fly off with you, but I usually, yeah. I'll turn that thermocell on as soon as I get out of the truck and it'll be nice and hot and going by the time I'm on set and I'll just hook it right to my tripod or put it on my, I've got a, what they call a tripod thong, you know, that goes in between the legs mm -hmm. to yeah. hold all my stuff. And I'll just set it there. And usually it does pretty good. But there's a lot of people who have worried that just that little bit was going to bust a coyote, like that little bit of scent that the thermocell pick kicks out. If they're going to bust you on that, they've already busted you by your own scent. That's right. You're right. 100%. Yeah, I've had some people want to argue with that point with me. I was like, look, a coyote has between 80 and 120 mil million, you know, sense receptors in their nose and a deer has double that 200 to 240. So if I've been in a deer stand or out in, the, in a tree stand, hang, uh, hang on tree stand or a climber and had deer walk right in front of me and they don't smell the uh, thermocell, that coyote's not going to smell it. And again, if they bust you on the thermocell, they busted you a long time ago. Yeah, you've already, your smell is going the exact same way as the thermocell. So if they That's smell right. one or the other, it doesn't really matter. Well, I mean, if you hunt the wind correctly, you won't have to worry about that. Yeah. You yeah. just worry about the ones coming downwind. Yep. So on that, what do you guys, how do you guys typically approach and set up on a set? Oh man, so wind play, wind is key. That's going to direct, uh, dictate how we set up. Uh, again, you know, we do have a lot of woods area, but we try to hunt some fields. So we'll set up, we'll come in. And I personally, I prefer hunting in crosswind. I just think it gives us more options to shoot and coyotes coming downwind aren't coming from behind us where we can't see. So we'll set up along a, a tree line or a field edge, something to break up our outline. We kind of set up, kind of fan out a little bit because there's usually two or three of us together. So we're covering a whole 180 degrees and we each got our little sectors that we stay in. I put the call, like I said, try to put the call out where I want them to come from or where I want to funnel them into to a shooting lane. Set it up. I've run it anywhere from 10 yards in front of me out to 100 yards, yep. just depending on how the land is, if there's a rise in the the heel like if there's a rise in the field i set the call on the side closest to us because i want them to come over the heel and i don't want to shoot them skyline but we don't have too much to worry about uh, in our area about that and that's about it we just set up along the tree line set the call out you know usually a crosswind we try to do and uh, just call the way i've always explained it is i try to put the call to where they're going to circle downwind. We we assume most of them, 75% of them are going to go for the downwind. I've mm -hmm. just always tried to make that downwind a wide open area that I can shoot every time. Yep. 
That's what we try to do. And I'll pay, face the call into the wind. Yep. That way the call is projected into the wind and the wind can dr uh, blow that call sound downwind. Yeah. I think that with the uh, calls, and, and Chance can agree with me, depending on the sound you're playing too, um, I think when we're playing a lot of vocals, they come straight in. Yes, sir. You know, they're not going to, they don't try to circle us. Now, we're playing distress. That's where, you know, you see them start trying to catch you, you know, circle you to get the wind because they want to verify that, that rabbit or bird by smell. But we're, and, you know, I'll go to Chance's calling style. Um, mine's, again, I didn't call a lot before, you know, hunting with Chance, but he uses a lot of vocals. Um, I, I never rarely or hardly used vocals before. Uh, I do now because my man's called in a lot of coyotes. But, you know, I always play distress. Um, but with the vocals, we'll see them. They'll come just straight into the call. No circle, no nothing. So, that's and again, that's time of year. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably my favorite way to call them in is off vocals because you get them coming in pissed off or just, that's right. you know, they don't want that other coyote there. Or you get in their territory and you female howl and here comes a male that's like, oh, there's one of my bitches out there. That's right. That's right. And, and you know. I've learned that, you know, with, with chance, you know, like I said, I always did pray to stress because, you know, that's what I read and YouTube and, you know, you just hear the, the cottontail or the, or the, the, uh, yeah, you know, the birds. And when I went with him, he was just hammering up the, the vocals and I'm just like, but I mean, damn, we were calling in some coyotes though. So, you know, I'm a believer in them now. Yeah. And I've I, run 90% vocals. I love hearing coyotes talk. I, I Absolutely. don't have to shoot them every night, but if I can get them vocal, I'll just stand there and listen to them. I love hearing them talk. Yeah, 100%. I'll do the same thing. Like, I consider it a successful stand if they respond. That's right. If, you know, if they come in and I get a shot, that's great. But if I can hear them respond and try to figure out what they're saying, I love it. That, you know, hair stands up on the, my arm, the back of my neck. It's the one of the favorite things i love about coyote hunting is having the respondent my wife too she comes with us and she's a spectator and she's the tracker she helps us track them down she loves it when they respond that's her favorite thing to do yeah my wife's gone for the week so i've uh i've got no kids and no wife no wife all week but she's like well saturday we're not going to have any kids so why don't you just take me hunting that night i'm like twist my arm <laughs> there you yeah. go yeah well be careful because i had to go and buy a thermal scanner for my wife <laughs> i'll do it if she tells me i gotta do it then we'll we'll make it happen but i'm just happy I, that she yeah. mentioned it yeah i didn't mind i didn't mind pulling the trigger on that one no not not at all not yeah. at all so you guys mentioned bobcats too do you guys do fairly well on bobcats Shouldn't we call in a fair amount yeah. um you know, of course, you got to you got a season here for that unless they're, uh, <clears throat> you know, like I've got on this property, we got three chicken coops. We, you know, me and my dad, and my sister, and we lose a lot of chickens to fox and, and, and bobcats. So, you know, I've spoken with the game board multiple times and, and I hunt other chicken coops where, you know, people call me and say, hey, man, I'm getting my, my chickens are disappearing. You know, most of the time that's going to be a bobcat or a fox. You know, you get coyotes in there, too. So as long as, you know, they're losing chickens or other livestock to these animals, you can shoot them out of season. Oh, okay. Um, you just can't uh, go out there and call them off the fields, you know, when we're coyote hunting, yep. unless they're in season. But, uh, you know, we do do a lot of chicken coop hunting 
And that's just really a lot of steel hunting, really. Yeah. You know, you just sit out there and wait for that. You know, again, you can pattern the bobcat. You know, I did my first bobcat I killed right here where the shop is sitting, you know, from next door at my house. You know, he's coming in every night at one o'clock in the morning on the dot, going to the chicken coop. And the third night, you know, I was sitting there waiting on with a 270 with a day scope. And uh, so, but he was killing the hell out of my chickens. I mean, he was taking one a night. See, and yeah. here, even the fox, if I just had a lady message me today, she said, my brother's got chickens and there's fox with kits coming in and killing chickens. Yep. I legally cannot do anything about it. Really? October 15th. Fox, oh, wow. here, fox here are not treated like coyotes or raccoons where they, you just kill them if they're doing damage. You have to call in like a DNR biologist. They have to come look at the area see the damage that's being done. And I don't personally know any landowner that's ever been given a permit to remove them out of season. Everyone mm. that I've talked to has been told to better secure their coops. Yeah, we, we have some of that for out of season stuff where the DNR needs to come in and, and evaluate the situation. And like, so if you have dead chickens, you got to leave them there if, um, and call them and hopefully they can come there before a vulture or something else comes and drags it off. Um, but take pictures of it as well and they'll come and issue a depreditation permit for it. We actually uh, secured some land. They have a bear depreditation permit that they want me to come. He has a bunch of hog farms and he's gotten the bear gets in there and will carry off the young hogs. No, nope. And so, yeah, he's done it. Uh, he's had a problem coming in three weeks, four weeks, coming in, kick, killing one or two a day. Uh, so he got a depredation permit for a bear. And he's like, hey, man, I've set up during the day. I can't see him at day. He's coming in at night. You've got thermal and the equipment. You know, you can hunt and kill all the coyotes if you can come and kill this bear for me. I was like, consider it done. So can you go after a, that bear after dark? Yep, with this depredation permit, it'll allow me to do it. I've got to get it with the game warden. He's going to, you know, register. I got to get a, a put on the permit. Yep. And then when uh when it happens, I got to bag it, tag it, uh, call them in. They'll come in, verify everything, and then stamp that depredation permit as it um as I get used or expired, and then that's it. And then I get. I'm assuming that we can, you know, keep the uh, the meat and the hide and send off the taxidermists and all that stuff. Uh, I've heard that on some depredation permits, like for deer, you shoot them, you leave, leave them, let them lie, and yeah. then they just come feed for the scavengers. So I, I don't know if it's the same for a bear since they're a little bit different. See, and I've heard that. I actually was told that previously about Michigan um, doing the deer like block permits. Some of these farmers will get 60, 70, 80 tags to come take out deer that are killing all their crops, you know. Yeah. And for a long time, I was told the same thing. You basically shoot them and let them lay. There has got to be a better way. There is hungry families oh, out there that could use yep. that meat. That And we as hunters, as ethical sportsmen and hunters that actually care about these animals more than these anti-hunters that pretend they do, we don't want to mm -hmm. see them go to waste. I don't even like letting a coyote run off wounded. I want it dead. Oh, that's right. And in the back of my truck. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, you know, that's something that maybe we, uh, as hunters and, you know, the uh, conservatives we are should get up with the, the DNR and say, Hey, look, when we're you doing these depreditation permits, instead of wasting the meat 
and letting it lay there and rot and feed the vultures and the coyotes and uh, drawing coyotes, another problem, nuisance animal, into an area, we should be able to donate that to food banks or charities. We all know how to skin out a deer. We can do that. We have freezers. We have this stuff. And we can get up with the uh, the game wardens and notify, you know, any family that may be in need of that right. of that meat that could supplement them, give them to churches and stuff. We used to do that in Texas. We go and kill a bunch of hogs, take it to the church, you know, put all the meat in a freezer, and the pastor and the deans would take it out to the families that would need, you know, some extra meat. Right. And and the other thing, not only is that going to feed people that need it, that could change people's outlook on hunting all around. Get yeah. that kind of help from hunters. I mean, we're not making any money doing this. We're we're going out doing this for these farmers and we don't want it to go to waste. So I don't know. I I have a problem with that, a moral problem with that myself, just letting stuff lay to rot. We never want to do it, but if man, if we could from what I heard is we could actually donate that meat. And this is not fact. This is not written down anywhere that I found it. That meat can be donated, but somebody has to pay the processor because you cannot home process it. So hmm. if you shoot 80 deer for a guy, you're going to have a lot of freaking money involved in, in butchering oh, yeah. from somebody if I could take a deer home, butcher it down, put it in freezer bags and go bring it to a family, I would. But as far as I know, that's illegal. Yeah, I bet it has something to do with health code violations oh, and yeah. standards, you know, make sure for sanitary purposes. But I mean, I know how to do it and I'm I'm comfortable serving my family the food, the, the deer that I've processed myself, you know, same thing, freezer bags, zip tight and all that stuff. I would I would do it for somebody else. Yeah, because right. I mean, what do they charge around here for processing deer? A hundred dollars? Probably at least. Yeah, I do all my own processing. Yeah, that's but how. If I was going to charge someone, it would be at least a hundred dollars for my time to process someone's shot deer. Right. Exactly. I think it went up around here. It was a hundred bucks a couple of years ago. I do all my own butchering too, but from what I heard, it went up to like a hundred and fifty dollars now per deer. Like, man, oh, wow. I've, already, I've already spent enough money just to go hunt. I'm going that's to right. process yeah. it by myself get the cuts I want. Plus with, so I've got three kids and my wife, they, my, one of my kids knows how to run the grinder. The other one knows how to use a knife. My daughter knows how to use the bagger and my wife will sit there, package meat up in the bags, hand it to my daughter. She'll, she'll do the freezer bag portion. And it's just a process that's done in, you know, three hours for a full deer saved 150 bucks, processed the whole thing ourselves, And we all sat around his family taking care of it. Oh, yeah. Not on my life skill. Yeah. We'll do a whole Sunday of, you know, because we'll, we'll kill, you know, four, five, six deer through the through the seasons. And then uh, we'll just take one Sunday, you know, the whole family and friends come over. And, you know, I got all the grinders and cutters and slicers, and we just get after it and package it all the way up. You know, and everybody walks away with, with the hamburger and whatever else we make. So on the food topic, have either of you ever had coyote? No. No. On. I was going to ask you that. <laughs> yes, we have. Have you? Yes, we have. Kevin, Kevin did jerky out of his. I know he, he might have done some other things, but I know he did jerky. He's also done bobcat jerky, and he liked now, I've heard bobcat. Bobcat apparently is very, very good. He actually just sent That's what I've heard. bobcat back with uh, Tony back to Ohio to uh, cook some up for his show, Rolling Cole. But uh, 
yeah, I've done coyote, but when I did it, I did it strictly because I was so tired of the anti-hunters getting on our Facebook page saying, you guys just kill because you want to kill. You don't even eat it. So I had a coyote that was, I think it was a tournament coyote that I shot on a Friday night, got it home on Sunday. This is after, I mean, it was winter, so it was nice and cold, but I cut, Mm -hmm. I cut a backstrap right out of it, threw it in the frying pan and ate it that way. Not good. You guys know what they smell like. That was a lot of what it tasted like. (laughs) (laughs) You don't want to eat that. But now my little brother, he did ground coyote. He made spaghetti with it, and you couldn't really tell a difference. He did jerky with it, and the jerky was good, but you could tell it was a different, like a different texture. Gotcha. Yeah, uh, not to throw another name, you know, but Meat Eater and Steve yeah, Rinella cool. and all their trademarks or whatever, don't come sue me. You're not going to get anything. Yeah. Um, they did an episode where they were in New Mexico or Arizona. It was somewhere out there. Yeah, and uh, they shot a coyote and they made um, tacos out of it. Yeah, I remember he said it wasn't bad. Yeah, he said he liked it, you know. I just listened to Rinella on the uh, Joe Rogan Experience podcast today. And he's, they brought this up. He said, yeah, I've had coyote and I wouldn't do it again. Um, oh, really? I don't remember what he compared it to, like a, some kind of a duck that's apparently not very good. I, I have no idea, but he said he said he wouldn't do it again. Not something you'd go out intentionally to kill to try to fill your freezer. Yeah. I mean, if it, if it ever get bad enough, uh, yeah, I guess I would eat it. You got to eat. You, you got to eat what you got to eat, I guess, right? Yeah, there's too many other game animals, though. I mean, we got the rabbits and the squirrels and my kids like shooting the squirrels. So I take them out. That's right. Reason to do that. Um, but there, yeah, there's too many other options to I'd rather eat a rabbit than coyote. But I've also done. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Fried rabbits. Delicious. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've had uh, fox and woodchuck and porcupine and fox was terrible. If you guys know what those smell like, that's even worse. That That is the flavor of it. I did not like it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's too bad because we could <laughs> fill the freezer with meat all year if the coyotes were good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I had, to, I had to buy a deep freeze to put all my uh, trophies in it to, uh, to, to wait to get them to taxidermist. I called, text my taxidermist, hey, man, I've got a, bl- a black and blonde-faced coyote I want to bring to you. He said, I'm not taking anything until at least September. And so I was like, well, shoot, what am I going to do with this stuff? So I had to go and buy a deep freeze, put it in there. Yeah, I've got two deep freezers down here in the basement. I got one in the garage that's full of uh, just coyote furs. And honestly, I was trying to save all those furs for a rainy day when somebody might say they need a coyote. And I've got 50 of them skinned out in the freezer. Mm -hmm. But that day has yet to come, and they've been in there for Mm -hmm. three years. Oh I'm, man, I'm about to the point where I'm not going to skin any more of them until I start hearing of somebody needing them. But I've also never shot a black one. If a black one does happen to come in, that baby's getting full body mounted. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm still yeah. waiting on mine. Uh, I'm waiting for the taxidermist to give me a call to pick up my first black one, and I'm taking the the second black one and the blonde one in. Oh, I'm yeah. going to have those mounted. Yeah, that was that was the same night we killed the black one, and then what the next stand? The very next stand, the blonde one. About oh nice. Uh, as the crow flies, maybe three quarters of a mile from each other. So that and I've got friends in North Carolina, and it seems like North Carolina, 
has quite a population of black coyotes, but I've been hunting Michigan for 17 seasons, 17 full years now, and I have laid eyes on two black coyotes the whole time. Yeah, a black coyote, to be a black coyote, one of the parents has to be a black coyote. Yep. And uh, North Carolina, Tennessee, not so much, but uh, North Carolina, Tennessee, West Virginia, Virginia, we have a high population of black coyotes. That's where I see a lot of them come from. Yeah, Virginia especially, that one seems to come up a lot, but those guys also really hammer the fox. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think that's uh, Maryland. Is it Maryland? They got a huge population, I yeah. understand, up there. Yeah, yeah but them, no, it, hunting in Maryland's hard. They have a lot of fox. They just That's what I'm saying. They, yeah. they, they, the guys in the Eastern, they, they kill like 50 in that tournament. Yeah. You know, 48, that's a lot of, I mean, and, you know, talk to a couple guys, they're like, they're eat up a fox up in that Maryland area. Yeah, Maryland, Pennsylvania. Yeah. I got a buddy up there, and he's, you know, he kills more fox than he does coyote every single year. You know, and I kill more coyotes than I kill fox. I mean, we got, you know, reds and grays. Yeah. But yeah, they're, the fox population in that area, Pennsylvania, Maryland, is just, you know, it's as high as some of the coyote populations out west. Yeah. Well, no, those guys that did it during the uh, during the Eastern, didn't they shoot like, and don't quote me on this, and if this is wrong, I'll edit it out, but I think his name's Jeremy something. Jeremy, I don't remember who took all those fox, but I, I think they killed like 27 of them the first night or something. Yeah, they killed like, it was in the 50s for the whole tournament. Yeah. That's um, that's, that's 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 banging them down right there, you know. We don't see that um, many predators in a weekend. No. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, no. <laughs> I think, I now, see, do you guys have a season up there for coyotes, or is it year-round? No, Michigan, so we used to have a season, and then it basically got to the point where the complaints were so bad that the DNR were tired of dealing with the issues from the coyotes. They wanted us to leave the coyotes alone this whole time i mean from what was it april 15th through july 15th so that the pups could be born and raised and blah blah blah. well you're doing a disservice to these people having problems with them because my landowners say i don't care big or small i want them dead because a small coyote turns into a big coyote that's going to do the same thing that all the other ones have done um and that uh this year, I haven't seen a puppy at all on the ground yet. Um, I know they're out and about. I've heard them. I haven't seen them. But we finally got rid of that season. I couldn't, I think at 16, 17. Um, and that was around the same time when they also opened up center fire at night. We used to be limited yeah. to rim fire or shotgun only at night. Um, and that uh, yeah. that was a challenge in itself. Yeah. yeah, we're we're wide open here, you know. We're whatever you you know, whatever you want to use, you know, claymore grenades, whatever you get your hands on down here. I want to see um, those videos when you put some tannerite in a bait pile or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I heard, I don't remember where I read this, but it was saying to affect a coyote population in an area, you have to take out seventy percent of that population that year to affect the next year's population. Yep. Seventy percent. That's a lot. That is a ton. However, I can say, and I don't know that the population is lower. There's enough coyote. So when I started coyote hunting back in 2006, I think seven, I was on an online coyote hunting forum that was all Michigan based. And there was maybe 
two to 300 people on that page for as long as I was on it. Now I am one of the admins on the biggest Michigan coyote hunting page there is, and it's pushing 15,000 guys on it now. Wow. And my calls from landowners in the last two years have just dropped out. I mean, nobody is really calling me saying that they're having issues. If I do get calls, it's from somebody, you know, I got one on my trail camera last night, or I heard a couple of them out back, but I have not gotten called to a, Hey, this thing keeps coming in and killing my chickens, this thing coming in and getting into the the sheep or anything like that. I haven't heard that in probably two years. Now, do you guys, is it a lot of public land? I mean, is it like out west where it's, it's private land but public land? Is is that what it's up in Michigan? Or? That would be what would be called the Hunter Access Program land, HAP land here. We have some of that, I think. I thought for a while there that they did away with that program. I don't know if the funds weren't right, budget wasn't right or whatever. We do have some of that. Um we I'm loaded with public land about 30 minutes from me. I think there's like 37,000 acres of public land that's huntable. But in order for me to hunt that at night, I have to go back to the rimfire or shotgun rule. Now, gotcha. if I want to go out there in daylight, I can use a 50 cal, my 243, anything I want, you know. Um, now, if you go an hour north of me, so so Michigan split into zones for deer season. So down mm-hmm. here by me, I can only, we're technically called the, well, we used to be the shotgun zone. So you could only use shotgun, muzzleloader, or bow for, for deer. Well, now we're to a straight wall cartridge. So I have like a 350 legend built for deer season down here now. But up north, you go an hour north, um, there's, there's a line that you cross and it is deer season's open for rifle and public land at night for coyotes is open for rifle. But we have a maximum bullet diameter of 0.269 diameter. So I think the 6.5 Creedmoor is about the biggest you can go legally here. So we're we're split up. We've got a map that we have on our main page that breaks it up so people know, hey, you, you go 15 minutes below this line, you can no longer use your center fire on public land, you know um we're, we're broken up and it's in, in my opinion it's now you're talking about public land. public land i mean you don't know somebody's already in that block that nope. area already calling that you know an hour before nope. you or no nope. nope you don't so that's that, hard that's tough yeah it is but i don't think most of the guys do a lot of public land hunting and i think a lot of it down here is because you're limited to rimfire shotgun after dark okay I hunt the public land, but I do it in daylight with a shotgun and the same clear cuts that I mentioned I deer hunt. I go mm-hmm. right into those with a shotgun and call inside those. And I've done fairly decent, but you got to hit it right at the right time, be right there when they are. And with all that ground, you know, they can be anywhere. It's not like it's not like when a farmer calls and say, hey, they keep on lighting up in this 20 acre patch of woods that I've got in this field. Well, you know where they're going to be. Well, tomorrow, they're probably going to be in the same general vicinity, if not one of them, at least on the public land. You know, I could go out and howl tonight and those coyotes wouldn't be within five miles of there tomorrow morning. You know, so howling uh, the guy down down the roadhouse back at you. We've had that, too. We've had that. Yeah, did you have that? He had that in my tournament. These guys, him and another team, we were standing out there talking at the tournament. They start talking about howling. He's like, 
Fox Pro call how they were like, where were you at? He's like, I was here. He's like, yeah, we were over here. They, yeah. they were calling back to each other. Yeah, like, I, I actually, I had a buddy uh, that I hunted with for a long time. And him and I went out one time and uh, both set up our own calls. We were in the same field and he was, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 yards to my, to my side while I was howling. And then his call was so much smaller than mine that it was way quieter. Well, he was answering me and I'm like, you know, being that much quieter, it just sounded like it was so far off. So I sat right. for like an hour trying to howl this coyote in finally gave up and walked over and he's like yeah you kept on answering my howls i'm like wow i just wasted all that time it called to the same person i'm hunting with but now it is it is to the point now where on any given night of coyote hunting especially a friday or saturday night it is not uncommon to either number one hear somebody else calling somewhere or two hear coyotes vocalize and then within a couple minutes boom 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 like we never wow. used to hear gunshots like this but i mean it's getting oh, in the past five years yeah in the past five years coyote hunting predator hunting has just exploded on yeah. the scene you yeah. know yeah. you go into a hunting store and you'd see maybe one little end cap that would have some predator calls on it yep. and that would be about it you know you really had to go to the more you know I don't even know where you could buy, buy a Fox Pro at one time you, besides their website. Now, they're, every little mom and pop hunting store has them. They're all over the place. You know, you go online, you, all the stuff that's going to, you know, with the thermal market opening up and becoming yeah, more affordable. That's huge. Yeah, it's, you know, it's just opened up and it exploded. Yeah. And, no. you're, and you're getting so much more with your thermals today than five years ago, like I oh, said before. Yeah. And, the, and the prices have came down you know, tremendously. Yeah. And, you know, like he said, Nathan runs the IRA and I'm, and, and your thermion's clean as hell, you yeah. know, and, you know, not, not taking away from my stuff, but I am super impressed with their video quality. Yeah. You know, yeah. you know, I'm running, like I said, external DVR. So that it, you know, compresses, yeah, when you take it off. Yeah, it's just, on the it's just not that clean for, for what I, you know, what I got in that gun, but their stuff and the Bluetooth capability, like we'll kill a coyote, get in a car, you know, and you know, Nate'll bring his Bluetooth right to his phone and we sit there and watch, you know, watch the shot, you know, yeah. while we're driving down the road to the next thing. Yeah, especially when we miss one. Oh, that's the first thing we do. <laughs> yeah. It's it's twenty minutes afterwards analyzing what happened and why we missed. You pulled it. Which is often, but it's not often, but it is no, we uh we had one this weekend, Friday night. We snuck in. It was their second set and it was actually a pumpkin patch. Usually it's a cornfield, but this year they did pumpkins. And on would be our west. It's uh probably about a hundred yard wide by four hundred yard, three hundred yard long stretch of nothing but thick pines. And I'm gonna be working on this video here. The, the video should be on our YouTube page before this episode comes out for the podcast listeners. But I did this howl. I don't remember. It was a lucky duck howl, and. In the video, you'll hear it. There's a coyote right in those pines. And I mean, he just opens up. And, oh my gosh, man. It, it That gets my adrenaline going so much. But yeah, being able to watch those videos and stuff back is awesome. But that coyote, he howled. We shut up and I hit just a touch of pup distress. And it comes walking out in the field. And I mean, it is probably the easiest shot that i've ever seen old kevin miss 
and he ended up finding out that his gun was about five inches high and uh oh. he, he didn't pull the trigger again the rest of the night because i think that one told him pretty much something was wrong kevin doesn't right. do that often but uh it was only about five minutes later i called in a female and killed her so it it all worked out in the end but um i mean we had that happen a couple of weeks ago uh hunting this horse farm where coyotes had come in and attacked the owners of dogs oh. and so we set up we called it lit off i'll go quiet I uh, hit it again, and it, it came in, and Timmy. Timmy well, I say, when you say it lit off, it was what not fifty yards. It was. I mean, he was on top. Time. I'm like, he's right there. It was a stone's throw. For yeah. Us. yeah, that's when you can like it feel it in you. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, he's right, right there. Yeah. yeah. At first, I was like, I, you know, I thought it was the echo of my call. Yeah. Because I looked down to see what volume I was running on to see, you know, if it was that loud, it was echoing. But he was right there. And he stepped out, and he was probably about sixty yards. And uh, he got to the—he saw the call, didn't like what he saw, turned around and started walking off. And I squeaked, you know. Uh, I know Timmy was trying to get on the gun; he didn't want to stop. And I sent one. I think I shot right over his back. He took off running. I shot one in front of him, led him too much. And then there's a dirt pile to our left. And then just on our side of the dirt pile, there's some uh, like an old uh, hay rake yeah. that was there. Big metal. Yeah, big metal rake. That coyote runs behind there, and I get out of the gun because I was like, I'm, I'm mad. I'm pissed that I just missed this layup <laughs> shot. And then all of a sudden, I just hear something run, and, you know, that metal clanging and something oh. crash landing. And I get into the scope real quick. That coyote had ran around that uh, – the dirt pile and came up and ran into that hay rake and hit himself and stumbled and rolled through it and got up and ran into the, I was trying to, you know, if it wasn't for that being there, I think he ran right. Basically he did a 180 around that dirt pile to run back towards us. Yeah. But I heard it hit, you know, what the hell was that? And then, and then he's like, that was a coyote. He hit that. I mean, it, it was loud. Yeah. He, that, that hay rake dead. Like, he is now. Yeah. That hay rake was 40 yards from us. You know, and he hit it and just took off. And if he wouldn't have hit that, he may have ran right up our legs. Yeah. So it's like a it's crazy. You see that thing? I guess not. I guess he was just so scared, <laughs> you know, having a, that 55 grain VMAX at 3,200 feet per second whiz by his head. Yeah. And he did not care. He was getting out. Yeah. Yeah. That'll make him, that'll make him do some things. <laughs> With that, yeah. The one that my buddy Tony missed right before I killed it, he couldn't have missed it by much because that thing did like a straight up on its back legs jump and like kind of back stepped and then took off across the field. I mean, you know, that thing felt that bullet go by it somewhere. He wasn't far off, but yeah, then yeah. Uh, we had one like that. Uh, well, it's been a couple, probably a month or two when we had the double. Yeah. We drank one at a call. Another one, you know, we kept calling another one come out and you watch the video. We both send them and it, it looks like it just sits back on its, you know, sits down. And I, it's just sitting there, you know, for a couple seconds. So I'm like, it's still up. I'm going to shoot. You know, Kyle, I don't stop shooting till he's all four legs down. So I shot, and you see him jump up, and, you know, then we just started sending him. And he yeah. went 600 yards through the field. Another 100 yards, we tracked that dog for an hour, mm -hmm. you know. Kind of but it was weird. And we shot, it just, like, sat down. Yeah, when we shot and it sat down, I thought we, you know, his chest on shot uh, facing us, the frontal shot. I thought we just knocked it on his ass and it right. just sat there for a second and just didn't have enough momentum to fall back. Yep. Um, and then uh, I, so I scanned looking for another dog thinking, all right, that one's done. He's about to fall. 
scan for another dog and I hear Timmy shoot again, I get back on it and I just see it running them. You know, if ammo wasn't as expensive as it is, we probably would have sent a few more. See, and that's the, that is one beautiful thing about Michigan. It saves me money because we're only allowed five rounds. Really? Oh yeah. Yeah. We can have five in the mag and one in the chamber. So, so six total. Um, but yeah, if I had, if I could be out there with a 30, 30 round mag, my wife would be pissed at the ammo bill that I'd be. <laughs> yeah. I, I factored my am, my ammo bill into the grocery bill. So we go to the grocery store. I make sure I order a box of ammo or something. <laughs> well, that yeah. that's a fair trade, I think. <laughs> yeah. But I run a 10 round mag just because that 30 round mag will get, um, you know, hit the tripod legs as yep. it's coming around. And usually I don't, I don't need a, a more than just a couple of rounds but when i do hog hunting i've got 30 round mag in there and a speed reload ready because you get into a sounder hogs you know you can dump a lot of ammo real quick yeah do you guys watch uh rougarou hog control guys out of louisiana at all no oh man you gotta, with them. you gotta look them up rougarou hog control they they kill pigs like every single night and i watch some of their videos Kevin uh, actually went down and hunted with them a couple years ago. And he said, man, you, you could go through so much ammo doing that, but it's a blast going out there and doing that. But oh, these, it is. these guys got like thermal drones now. So they got footage from a. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen some of those videos. Dude, yeah. they're so awesome. I yeah, love yeah. it. They'll, they'll fly them drones up and look, you know, you'll see them at like high grass and they'll circle them and you'll walk right into them. And it's super cool. This is all stuff that I'm 33 and I still can't believe how far things have gone and where we're at in the hunting community and what what's available and how far we've taken it to be able to help people out. I mean, literally people killing pigs, you're helping with a major, major problem. People killing pigs are are destructive. Yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. they cost they cost farmers thousands and thousands of dollars a year. Yeah, I mean, I know Texas. I mean, I think like the state pays some of these guys. Yeah, the state has a program for it, but you know they're eating so much and destroying so much. They're saying it's the agricultural damage they do is in tens of millions, if not billions, of dollars they do each year across the U.S. And Texas, um, I don't know what university is doing it, but what they did was a study where they were planting different variation, uh, different hybrid corn that they were doing, and then. monitoring it and watching which ones the hogs would eat the most and then they would the farmers are buying it so if they like you know brand a they'll plant 20 to 30 percent of their field with brand a in the very back on you know area of that corn and then they'll use brand brought you know b or c or whatever as their main uh, crop that year and then hunt and trap in the brand a because they're expecting to lose 20 to 30 percent of the crop if not more that's terrible. That and that just costs people money, plus insurance and everything yeah. like that, just to get that insurance and everything else. So you know, a can of corn was ninety nine cents. Now a can of corn is three twenty nine. Oh yeah, yeah. It's everything's going. Up. I don't. I don't think that's because of the hogs. Oh yeah, that, that <laughs> for a lot of other reasons. <laughs> we can name a name at least one. <laughs> well, Timmy, why don't we finish out by both of you guys telling me one of your most uh, memorable hunts? out there oh man i i've got you know every hunt's you know good but i'll tell you about the first coyote ever called in like i said i'm kind of self-taught really 
So I would just sit in my stand, and, and like he said, I actually patterned these coyotes on trail cameras. They were making this loop right here uh, through the field. And, you know, I was getting into the game, and, I, you know, I told my wife, I said, I, I got to buy a call. Well, I had a Fox Pro before that, but I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I had no clue how to even call. But the, I, the Fusion, so, I, you know, I spent the $400 on that. Never called in a coyote before. And I see two of them come out about 600 yards. And I'm in a, I'm in a basically, it's a shed. I put windows in, facing the field. I said, well, let me try this call. Let me try this Fox Pro. And I hit baby cottontail for about 10 seconds. And I'm watching them in my thermal. And them coyotes ran 300 yards across the field, hit the road, came about 300 yards or about 200 yards to the 100-yard mark and stood there. And I ended up, you know, clipping one of them. I think it was the second coyote ever killed. First one I killed without calling. And I'm going to tell you what, I was a straight junkie on Fox Pro after that. Like, mm -hmm. this is the craziest thing. And, and that's the thing with thermal is, you know, guys that run. And I ran lights when I first started because that's what the guy did. Then I went to night vision for a little bit. And then I went to thermal when I was introduced to that. And, you know, night vision is great. You see a lot of things. But with thermal, you see how these – Coyotes react to your call. Absolutely. Even, I mean, we can see, hell, we, we videoed out to, you know, seven, 800 yards on coyotes with, with their, with their uh, IRA and the thermions. And you learn so much about, you know, what that coyote does. You know, mm -hmm. the guys with lights, and I've done lights, I've seen about 100 yards. I didn't see what those five coyotes that came in that night were doing before they got to me. Right. You know, they actually snuck up on me. Yeah, me and my wife, we were out there that night with lights. Uh, of course, as soon as I said coyotes, you know, because I was excited and they scattered like pool balls. <laughs> but, you know, thermal's just, it's a, it's a different game. But that, that was like my first time I ever called in a coyote. And, it, you know, again, just straight junkie on it. You know, there's nothing better than watching, you know, we're out there. And, and when somebody says, dog, one o'clock, you know, you just start, your heart just, you know, everyone's a, a good, good time. It don't matter. It don't get old. Absolutely. I agree. And you, Chance? Yeah, uh, so I'd have to say my most memorable one was the for my first black coyote that I got. I've already uh, told that story. So I'll have to say the next one would have to be my first solo double. So a couple of weeks before I, this happened, um, I had two coyotes come in. They got to the call, smelled it, and took off. And this is when I decided to use the coyote urine spray trick. Um, so, which, which I use now, too. <laughs> so... I, I was talking to this guy I used to hunt with. I said something about it, and he told me, he warned me of it, said, hey, don't use it. You're going to scare them off. They're smelling. They won't come in. Well, we uh, it's uh, July 31st last year. I deployed on a deployment the very next day, so it's my last hunt for uh, last year. Go out, set the call up, spray some of that stuff around. And this property, me and Nate have been hunting it all year long. You look at it and it just screams coyote heaven like this. It has everything. It has cover. It has food. It has water. It has everything they want. When we got this property, we just, man, we're going to kill a mess of coyotes out of here. So we're hit it and every single time, just dry hole, dry hole, nothing, not even a response. And at this one, I was like, man, should we even hunt it? And Nate was like, yeah, let's go ahead because you never know. And I was like, all right. So we go out there and we call and within a couple of minutes, we have two coming. I was like, all right, you know, two, nine o'clock coming to the call. And they're coming. They jump a ditch and they had really high grass, just some uh, just overgrown grass in the mm -hmm. ditch. They jumped the ditch and got to the uh, call. They both sat there and smelled the call. And um, I put a uh, drop of one. Uh, it fell. 
And the other one turned and started running. And as it jumped, it was jumping over the ditch and jumped in, but behind the, uh, or through the grass. And I shot it through the grass without ever seeing it and dropped it. <laughs> and, uh, pan back to the first one I shot, it was starting to get up. I hit it high in the spine. So put it down and then came back and the other one was already done. So that was my first solo double. Had a, you know, Nate was there, but he couldn't get on the gun. He couldn't see. And the way we were set up, if, when they started running, he would have flagged me. So he didn't have a safe shot to take. And the other guy that was with us, the one who said, hey, don't use a coyote urine, he, he missed. So it was, we confirmed it was a solo double for me. It was my first one. The, the best part about a solo double has got to be dragging a solo double. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so in Timmy's hunt, uh, his tournament this year, we're hunting this property and it's a uh, straight downgrade, probably like a 10%, 12% grade all the way down. And it is rough. Uh, it get, The road gets washed out. It's uneven. It's rocky. It is a rough hike. And it's at least three quarters of a mile, if not a full mile back there. Mm -hmm. And I get a double on that one. This is the one where my wide field of view allowed me to get two shots off when Nate couldn't get one. So we dragged two coyotes and both of those coyotes, one, the female weighed 32 pounds and the male weighed 37 and 0.7 pounds. And having a drag, you got the call, you got the gun, the tripod, and then 65, 60, you know, 60, 70 pounds dragging uphill. Yeah, man, I was, I was about halfway and Nate and I switched and the landowner texted me the next day. He's like, man, I could hear someone huffing and puffing, uh, dragging those coyotes out last night. I was like, that was me, man. They kicked my ass. <laughs> Nothing will tell you how out of shape you are is like dragging a deer or, or a coyotes out um, of the field. In a real quick hurry, too. I uh, yeah, We hunted a tournament in January of this year, and this coyote come flying out across his field, and I was with my buddy Tony. Man, there's a, there's a theme that goes on with him. So he missed this one. And it takes off in the field, and I ranged it where it stopped, and it was 498. Mind wow. you, this is January in Michigan, so we're in two and a half to three feet of snow. I dump it at 400, no, it was 493 yards. And oh, then wow. I had to drag it about 700 mm -hmm. yards from there because we were about 300 yards from the truck. So yeah. <laughs> I, I never want to do that again. Next time I'm just going to watch it run away. Cause I don't want to do that drag. Through that snow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Unless it's a tournament and I need that coyote. That, <laughs> right. yeah, I'll save him for another day. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, where can everybody go to uh, see what you guys are, have been doing, see your hunts and anything you guys might put out. On Instagram, I've got uh, the Carolina coyote coalition. It's uh, just, we post some hunts and, um, uh, videos and some funny memes there uh my personal uh instagram is nowhere outdoors uh n-o-w-h-e-r-e -E, uh, nowhere outdoors and youtube is preying on predators okay and for you timmy uh i got an instagram i'm, I'm kind of new to the whole digital thing i'm a little older both of y'all so uh i got a drop zone hunting underscore enc on instagram and then uh Drop Zone Hunting on YouTube. Uh, you'll see that's where I do the uh, yoke rope videos for yoke ropes. Mm -hmm. uh, we're not uh, video, you know, production people. Uh, we do it with the iPhone right in the middle of the field, and really no script. We just we get we get send but, uh, it. You know, that's we how... we try to help them out. They they they've helped me out in my tournament with some giveaway stuff. So I try to you know promote them and 
you know, just good people. But uh, we, we enjoy just putting videos together and posting them out there. And we need to do some more uh, informational ones. Yeah, just sharing what we love. Sharing what we love, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, you know, when I got into hunting, I'm coyote hunting, I'm self-taught as well. I read everything I could online. That's right. Randy Johnson, you know, or um, and then O'Neill and, of course, Tory Cook. You know, he's the godfather of coyote hunting right now. Um, just learn everything with podcasts. Look, watched your podcast, listen to it and some of the other ones. Just learning as much as I can, and uh, everything seems to work. And you get that base knowledge, and then everything else is trial and error. You just gotta go out there and try it and figure out what works for you. You know, a coyote is a coyote is a coyote, but you know, vocals may be working in my area, but it's prey distress working. You know, three counties over. So you just gotta go out there and you pay attention to the basics, brilliance in the basics, master the basics, whatever you want to say. You know, play the wind, don't miss. You know, and you'll be fine. And Timmy, real quick, tell us about your uh, tournament that you have. Uh, I host a, a small tournament here. I'm nothing like the C3 or the Eastern, but uh, I started a tournament probably this was my third year this past January. Just I was in the game. I killed a couple of coyotes. You know, I thought I was going to turn pro. So, uh, you know, did. I enjoy I enjoy competition and uh, – and just I threw one together in like 30 days. I bought a bunch of trophies and a bunch of giveaway stuff out of my own pocket. And I think my first year I had seven or eight teams. The next year we kind of got the word out. And I think I had 11. And then this past, that's where I met Chance was my second tournament. Uh, he didn't kill anything in that one, I don't think. No, nah, I missed. And uh, <laughs> last, this, well, this year, uh, 2022, I had 17 teams enter from Johnston County, about two hours north to Stanley County, out about three or four hours away. Had three teams from out there, actually. But it's it's a I call it the average Joe tournament, really. You know, it's not. Uh, you know, I want the guys that's got ten pieces of land or you know fifteen that's going to kill three or four dogs in a weekend. But he can come, he can meet other coyote hunters, uh, and he still has a chance to win. You know. You know, my tournament, uh, the the big the, the big team, the team that won got six, and but the guy that that killed one uh, coyote actually won the big, you know, the big male, I think it yeah, was, or big, big coyote. So you know, I try to and I, I structure it where I can give out to you know places and stuff like that. I don't just do big big male. I do big male and second place big male because I don't want one team to come in and rake it all in. Yep. Um, I want the average coyote guys at weekend warriors that can come out here and, you know, meet guys. Cause that's, you know, and fortunately chance was in my tournament the second year, uh, like this year, uh, he got deployed after the first one. And that's, we just communicated over Facebook cause he was in Germany, couldn't hunt. So he was like texting me about coyote hunting and everything. And he come back right before my tournament, like I went two weeks. Yeah, and I say, hey man, let's let's go do a stand, man. Let's get you, you know, get you back into it before the tournament because he was going to hunt with Nate. I don't hunt my own tournament now, so uh, we went out. And we and then after the tournament, he was like, hey man, you want to go out tonight? And and now we go three times a damn week. Yeah, yeah. so yeah, kind but of- you know, I get to meet other guys in my area that are because I didn't know anybody that coyote hunted here really, you know, until I started, you know, doing this and you know. So it's, it's a good time, and, and you can learn from guys like Chance. And, you know, I go to the C3, and, and me and Chance are actually going to hunt the Eastern this year. So, you know, we're looking to, to probably set the national record. 
Yeah, you know, maybe like four coyotes or something. <laughs> oh, I thought but, you were talking uh, about national record of like misses or something. <laughs> hey, I told my wife, I said, I'm getting a tour bus when we go to the Eastern and we're just going to step off of it like Kid Rock with our three coyotes. Like we own that joint. <laughs> All about confidence. That's it. We got to look the part, right? Exactly, exactly. Well, both of you guys, thank you so much for taking the time, Timmy and Chance. Um, and I will personally say again for all of us, thank you both for you guys' uh, for what you guys do for the country sure. and everybody else. Please, both of you remain safe out there. Uh, both of your jobs right now got to be a little bit hectic. Um, so, yes, yeah, keep uh, keep on going out and killing them. Stay safe. Uh, we appreciate you guys' time. Thank you so much. And we will talk to everybody next week on the Overdrive Outdoors podcast. I appreciate your time. I appreciate it. Have a good one, man.